If you'll kindly remain standing, thank you, Dean, to hear and honor God's Word. It comes to us this morning from Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 7. Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, a eunuch in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king happened to be sitting at the Benjamin gate, so Ebed-Melech left the king's house and spoke to the king. My lord, king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they did to the prophet Jeremiah by throwing him into the cistern to die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, take three men with you from there, from here, and pull the prophet Jeremiah up from the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe of, of the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, just put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up by the ropes and pulled him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Let us pray. Oh Lord, these words are eternal. They do not change. And they are your words. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and open our minds and hearts that we might hear this, your word. Amen. I highly, highly doubt that I would ever be asked to speak at a college graduation. But if I ever would be asked to do such a thing, I have decided this week that my text would be based on Jeremiah chapter 38. Thus, my graduation talk would be different. You know, graduation talks, you've you've been to these, you've heard them. Do, Do they not all sound the same? I mean, mine would be different. They all sound the same. They say, find your voice, find your strength. You can make your life whatever you want it to be. Endless possibilities await you. You, you, you. It's all about you, your choices, what you decide that you want. Often they quote great philosophers like Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places you'll go, they say. Oh, the places you'll go. But it is all about you and it's all about your dreams. You can have it all. It's the natural result of a hyper-individualistic and consumer-driven society. Now you know, while I'll never be asked to speak at one of these. (laughs) Too negative, they would say. But the title of my speech would be, Be Like Ebed-Melech. Be Like Ebed-Melech. In Jeremiah 38, we once again see the chaos of a nation being overrun by the enemy. Babylon is getting close. They have cut off all supplies into the city. People are starving. They're panicking. King Zedekiah is losing all control. And in the midst of that, what does Jeremiah keep doing? He keeps preaching. 
He keeps preaching. This is God's message. He says, whoever stays in this town is going to die, will be killed, starve to death, get sick and die. But those who go over to the Babylonians will save their necks and will live. Think about that sermon. Time to surrender. Lose your life in order to find it. Give up. Go over to the Babylonians. Again, he says, this city is destined to fall to the army of the king of Babylon. He is going to take it over. Well, as you can imagine, this was not a popular sermon to the patriots, to those that were fighting for their homeland, those that were trying to ward off the enemy. This did not go over well at all. And so they took Jeremiah, they arrested him, they threw him down into a pit, a cistern, where he was left to die. A cistern which, which was empty, which is to hold water. This is a, a, an actual picture of a cistern that they've uncovered in, the, in Jerusalem. This is a little later than the time of Jeremiah, but you can see it's, there is no way other than those ladders, which wouldn't have existed, there is no way out. This was a cistern that they threw Jeremiah into, and there was mud, there were probably rats. They just threw him in and left him to die. This was his imprisonment. This was going to be his torture. His torture place. There are two responses to Jeremiah's sermon we see in this chapter. The first is the court officials or princes as some translate it. They had heard Jeremiah preach saying, give up, go to the Babylonians. And their response was, let's get rid of this guy. We need to silence his voice. So they told the king, kill this man. He's got to go. He's ruining the resolve of the soldiers who are still left in the city, as well as the people themselves by spreading these words. This man isn't looking after the good of his people, of this people. He is trying to ruin us. We've got to silence his voice. We've got to get rid of him. This is the voice of the crowd. They're trying to hold on to their country. They're desperate for their homeland, for their tradition. For them, tradition, land, power are everything. And thus, Jeremiah was seen as a threat. And they want to get rid of anyone who doesn't line up. Anyone who doesn't toe the line. Anyone who isn't speaking the crowd truth. The voice of everyone. If you're not speaking that, you need to be silenced. Who would dare challenge the long-held traditional beliefs of people? You know, one of the things we have seen as we've journeyed through this book of Jeremiah is that it is possible, it is quite possible for the crowd to be wrong. It's quite possible for the whole crowd, all of them, to be wrong. It's possible that the overwhelming majority of people's opinion to be very wrong. Now this should awaken us because if it was true then, it could be true now. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, The crowd is untruth. I like the way Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, put it. He said, in individuals, insanity is rare, but in groups, parties, nations, and epochs, it is the rule, he said. 
Whenever a crowd gathers, it's going to be untrue. Nietzsche says, whenever a crowd has a voice, it could be insane. It's not helpful. It goes against what should be said. What if we said today to college students, social media is always untruth? You know, it is very, very tempting in our world to say, well, but my crowd, my tribe, my crowd is is right. It's the other crowd that's wrong. I I get that a crowd can be wrong, but uh, it's them, not me. The voice of my crowd, I... I, uh, I'm going to hold on to that. The problem is the crowd is always looking to self-persevere. It's always looking for its own interests, fighting for survival. We have to protect this country. We have to protect this people group. We have to make sure those people do not get into power. It's all about keeping power. Sometimes crowds are arguing the same thing. And they both can be wrong. The crowd says, grab life and hold it tight. And then silence any any voice that isn't supportive. Jesus says, lose life and trust me. These court officials would fit very well into our world, I'm afraid. They sound very familiar. We hear it, we heard it, and heard it, and heard it during this election cycle. The voice of the crowd is untrue. There's another response to this, and this is Zedekiah the king. King Zedekiah is a weak man. He's a weak leader. They, they come to Zedekiah and they say, Zedekiah... Jeremiah is not supporting the crowd. We don't like his voice. We need to silence it. We need to get rid of him. And Zedekiah just kind of caved. He kind of washed his hands of it. He says, well, I I guess if you think so, whatever you all think, go ahead, handle it your way. Um, This is all too hot for me, he says. Reminds us a little bit of Pontius Pilate in the New Testament. I, I don't want to touch this. It's all too hot. You know, for more than a year, Nebuchadnezzar's troops had surrounded the city of Jerusalem, preventing any food from coming into the city. Jeremiah told King Zedekiah that God assured him that Zedekiah's life would be spared and the city would be spared if Zedekiah would just surrender, if he would just let go and lose himself, lose even the country, and let the Babylonian army do what it's going to do. And Zedekiah couldn't do it. He couldn't listen to that message. He couldn't lose. And so he had to keep fighting. And thus, he was only listening to his own voice. These princes and court officials, they were listening to the crowd. Zedekiah had an ear to the crowd, but he also had an ear to his own self-preservation. And he would not hear the voice of God. And that is a miserable way to live. That's a way of life where you're constantly looking out who's trying to take things away from me. Who's a threat? Who can I politically align with and make deals with to ensure that I stay in power? It's a, it's a road of anxiety, always afraid. 
You know, I worry when college students graduate in, in these speeches and they're told to listen to their own voice, find your own voice. I would like to remind them of Zedekiah. He wouldn't listen to God. He wouldn't listen to God and because of that, his sons were all killed. He was blinded and he died alone in a Babylonian prison. But God had given him a way out, but he wouldn't listen. And the way out was, you can lose your life and you will find it. I will save you. Thankfully, in our chapter, there is a third character in our text. His name is Ebed-Melech. He is a servant in Zedekiah's court. His name means servant of the king. We don't know if this was his actual name or it might have been his title, but he comes to us as Ebed-Melech. He is an Ethiopian. He is a Gentile, a black man, a eunuch. He, he was the ultimate outsider to many. Wasn't even allowed into the certain parts of the temple. But at some point, Ebed-Melech must have heard Jeremiah preach and something stirred. And, and he maybe even befriended Jeremiah. Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a court official assigned to the royal palace, he heard that they had thrown Jeremiah into the bottom of this cistern. While the king was out at the gate, the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went immediately from the palace. Now, for a servant to leave his post, for him to leave his place of service and travel and, and take initiative is never a good thing. It's a very risky thing. He goes out to where the king is and he finds the king on his own. And he said, my master, O king, these men are committing a great crime in what they're doing. They've thrown Jeremiah into a cistern and they, they left him there to starve to death. He's as good as dead. There isn't a scrap of bread left in the city. The king, this wishy-washy king, hearing this voice, now starts to waffle again. And he says, okay, do whatever you need to do. Get some men and get them out of there. Get the prophet out before he dies. And so Ebed-Melech got three men, went to the palace wardrobe, got some scraps of old clothing. They tied it together so he could put it under his armpits and lower down some ropes. And they lifted Jeremiah out of the cistern. A while back I heard a story about a man who fell into a pit, fell into a cistern. And he could not get himself out. He was down in this hole and you could look down and see. And, then, and luckily passing by was an optimist. And he said, you know, things could be worse. <laughs> and then a pessimist came by and said, things will get worse. And then Buddha walked by and said, your pit is only a state of mind. An IRS agent walked by and said, are you going to pay taxes on your pit? The county inspector came by and asked if he had a permit to dig the pit. A college professor walked by, gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. The fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. A Christian scientist walked by and said, you only think you're in a pit. A Presbyterian walked by and said, this pit is no accident, you know. 
Someone from Gen Z walked by and texted the man and said, send us a selfie from down there in the pit. A senior pastor from a particular church walked by and said, you know, you can still give to the capital campaign even though you are in a pit. (laughs) Never happened here, but... In today's world, we call this virtue signaling. There's a cause. There's someone in a pit, a cistern. So what I do is I go on my social media page and I put a flag that represents that cause to let everybody know that I'm on the side of the one who's in the pit. I'm with them, or I put a flag out in front of her, a placard in, in my yard, and say, look at me, I'm on, I'm all for this cause. We do this. We align. This is what the crowd does. The crowd says, boy, we got to have empathy for this situation. And we signal to everyone that I'm for that situation. But what are we really doing? Are we helping the situation? Actually, we're saying, look at me. Look at how good I am. I'm on the side of the one in the pit. Ebed Melech, seeing Jeremiah, lowered down ropes and lifted him out of the pit. And it was a risk, and it was personal, and it took all kinds of effort, and he risked losing his life. To lift Jeremiah out of that pit. Ebed Melech listened to God's voice. He reminds us of Jesus' words, those who find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I love this quote so much that I decided to put it up because I wanted you to see it from Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. He said, this linkage of politics and faith leads to a remarkable and predictably unpopular judgment. Obedience to God equals surrender to Babylon. The book of Jeremiah has made this massive political, theological connection. It is as though life comes through death, well-being comes through submission, security comes through enormous risk. It's a little different than the average college graduation speech. You all have probably heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor who spoke out and actually worked um, against the Nazi regime in in Hitler's Germany and actually had a plot to kill Hitler and and it would cost him his life as he was martyred. Maybe you have not heard of another pastor in Germany a little bit earlier than Bonhoeffer. His name was Martin Niemöller. And early on he began speaking out against the Nazis and the crowd and what they were doing and And he said this in a sermon. He said, we have no more thought of using our own powers to escape the arm of the authorities than have the apostles of old. No more are we ready to keep silent at man's behest when God commands us to speak. 
For it is and must remain the case that we must obey God rather than man. Did you hear the words of that sermon? We're no longer going to listen to the voice of the crowd. No more. No more. That day he preached and said, we, we, our congregation, are going to not listen to that voice. We're going to listen and obey God. Four days later, Martin Niemöller was arrested. He spent eight months in jail. They brought him to a trial in which he was finally found guilty of abuse of the pulpit. Ultimately, he was sent to a concentration camp where he spent eight years. Eight years of his life in a concentration camp. He was liberated in 1945 by the Allies. Why? Because he dared to say the crowd is untrue. We listen to God. Niemöller died in West Germany on March 6, 1984 at the age of 92. He kept preaching all those years. He kept reminding his congregations about the importance of listening and obeying to God. And right before his death at 92, he said this. He said, when I was young, I thought that I needed to carry the gospel. But I now look back and see that the gospel was carrying me. I lost my life. I let go. But all the while, God held on to me, carried me, and was with me through it all. We have a wonderful postscript to our chapter in the next chapter in Jeremiah 39. God says to Jeremiah, go and talk with Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. Tell him this. The God of Israel says, I want you to listen carefully, Ebed-Melech. I will do exactly what I said I will do to this city. Bad news, not good news. When it happens, the city's going to crumble. Everything's going to fall. The walls, the temple, everything's coming down. But Ebed-Melech, I will deliver you. I'll deliver you. I'll save you. You won't be killed. You'll walk out of there safe and sound because you trusted me. This is God's decree. And when that day came, there were three people who got out alive. Jeremiah, Baruch, Jeremiah's secretary, was so faithful. And the most unlikely of people Ebed-Melech, this Ethiopian, God kept his promise. My speech to college students would be this. Don't listen to the crowd. Mm -mm. Don't listen to the crowd. Listen to God. Be ready today to lose your life. Be ready to lose your life in order to find it. Don't walk by the pit. Don't virtue, virtue signal your own goodness about somebody being the pit. I want you to actually lower down your arm and help people get out of the pit. Take risks. Do unpopular things. Listen to the voice of God. 
Do like Martin Niemöller. Be like Ebed-Melech. Let us pray. O oh Lord, you came and walked among us and you told us a story one time about three men and a man who had been left beaten and robbed and two men walked by on the other side and said, I don't want to deal with it. But you said a Samaritan, an outsider, picked him up and bandaged his wounds and took care of him. We hear echoes of that story as we read Jeremiah. Lord, help us to push aside the voices of the crowd and listen to your still small voice. Help us this week to trust you, to trust all the good things that you have in store for those who are willing to let go and trust you only for our salvation. In this we humbly pray in Jesus' name, amen.